The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Tonight on The Readout. They are begging for more diversity. Why not send migrants there? In huge numbers. Let's start with 300,000 and move up from there. Tucker asks, and Republican governors deliver, exploiting and abusing human beings, men, women, and children, to score cheap political points on immigration. How do these people sleep at night, let alone square this dehumanizing behavior with their supposed Christianity? Plus, new tonight, the January 6th committee releases walkie-talkie recordings from the Oath Keepers inside the Capitol on January 6th. We are in the main dome right now. We are rocking it. They're throwing grenades. They're freaking shooting people with paintballs, but we're in here. Be safe, be safe. God bless and Godspeed and keep going. Get it, Jess. Do your This is what we lived up for. Everything we trained for. But we begin tonight on the start of Hispanic Heritage Month, when Americans are supposed to celebrate the culture and contributions of Americans with ancestors from Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central and South America. It was President Lyndon Johnson who created Hispanic Heritage Week, back in 1968, after repealing America's most xenophobic anti-immigration law that was meant to preserve the ideal of U.S. homogeneity. Today, while many Americans are honoring those Hispanic contributions, last night, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had a different idea, proudly taking credit for sending two plane loads of Latino migrants to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Roughly 50 Venezuelan and Colombian migrants, many fleeing Venezuela's Maduro regime, said they had come from San Antonio, Texas, where they were offered flights to Boston, not Martha's Vineyard, which is roughly 100 miles away. They had no idea what was really going on. Some of them have been through really horrific things. So they need a break and they need help. This was part of a plan that DeSantis hatched back in 2021, where he created a new state program to transport so-called unauthorized aliens out of Florida. And now, please allow me just for a moment to take a moment of former Sunday school teacher privilege, because this tactic by supposedly Christian right politicians like DeSantis, Arizona's Doug Ducey and Greg Abbott of Texas, is about as unchristian as it gets. Deuteronomy 2719, which... Strangely, Bible verse tweeter Marco Rubio has yet to share with us today, states, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. While Leviticus 19.34 says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Oh, there's also that, as you've done done to the least of these, you've done to me, that part from the New Testament. Fox News was, of course, given the exclusive heads up and broadcast footage throughout the night. And that is not the only exclusive that they scored. Abbott shipped two busloads of migrants 
to the Washington residence of Vice President Kamala Harris, where a Fox camera was waiting. Abbott began busing thousands of migrants to Washington back in April. Ducey has been doing it since May. And it should come as no surprise to you that all three have oversized political ambitions. And Fox News? Well, they were in just hog heaven. Everybody, basically, that you know on the left has a home there. Do you think they're going to be embracing their new neighbors? <laughs> you know, these are all sanctuary cities until they're in their sanctuary. Right. I, I doubt they'll embrace them. It's not only a good uh, political move, it's, it's actually making those Democrat governors uh, and mayors actually start to be uh, border states. What's your view of this? You know, I actually I get a kick out of it watching these liberal mayors just, you know, throw their hands up and say we can't handle it. For the record, Massachusetts has a Republican governor and also for the record, no officials on Martha's Vineyard threw up their hands and said, we just can't handle it. Local authorities actually rushed in to help feed these people and find them temporary housing. And today, community leaders are working with the state attorney general's office to get immigration lawyers to the island. It turns out that the place to find Christian love is in the supposedly godless wokescape of Martha's Vineyard. We're actually decent people, Jews, Muslims, real Christians, and people with no religion at all, stepped up. While for DeSantis, as always, the cruelty is the point. If you have folks that are inclined to think Florida is a good place, our message to them is we are not a sanctuary state, and it's better to be able to go to a sanctuary jurisdiction. And yes, we will help facilitate that transport for you to be able to go to greener pastures. Joining me now is Massachusetts State Representative Dylan Fernandez, who represents Martha's Vineyard, David Oval, Steve, uh, staff writer for the Miami Herald, and Adelise Ferro, who is the co-founder and director of the Venezuelan American Caucus. Thank you all for being here. I, I, I do want to start with you, Representative uh, Fernandez. What is the state of play right now on Martha's Vineyard for these <laughs> families, these human beings, men, women, and children? Sure. Well, this is an island that sprang into action to get everyone uh, the beds, uh, the, the shelter, the, the food, clothing, water, medical resources that they needed um, as soon as they arrived. They're going to be on island here again tonight, and we have all the resources for them. The island community actually pulled together uh, a Spanish mass um, that folks uh, were, were just attending. Um, and we're, we're a community that um, embraces diversity. We're an incredibly diverse community here. Um, and we're, we're going to treat these people with this respect and dignity that all human beings deserve. And it, were people telling their stories and have you been able to learn, you know, these are a, a, a reportedly mostly Venezuelan and Colombian migrants, um, some of which I have heard were fleeing the Maduro regime. Have you heard any of those kind of stories yourself? Yeah, you know, some of these have been harrowing stories of people um, traveling two months just to get to the border. And then, you know, you know, they were shipped here, rounded up and shipped here on a lie. Um, these people were told that they were going to, uh, you know, I'm told New York to go to their um, and, and, and other cities around the country. There, some were told they were going to their immigration meetings. Uh, others were told a lot of them were told that they would once they arrived here, they would get um, they would immediately get jobs and shelter um, and just, you know, think about that. Think about kind of the, the depravity of 
of lying to these people. And look, the people here, these are human beings. These are children. These are families. Um, these are women. And for the past weeks, days now, the governor of Florida has not been serving the people of, of Florida and the, the issues down there, but has work, been working to hatch a secretive, you know, political plot um, to use people for his own political pawns, women and children, just so he could get on Tucker Carlson and Fox News. That yeah. is profoundly um, uh, inhumane. It's twisted. I mean, he's trying to win the Fox News primary, as are Ducey and uh, uh, Abbott. Uh, let me go to you, um, David Oval, because it, it isn't new, this this plan. Back in the 1960s, segregationist governors did the exact same thing. They would take uh, black folks during the Freedom Rides and as their response and retaliation for the Freedom Rides— um, I'll just read what NPR wrote about this. Um, fuming over the civil rights movement, Southern segregationists had concocted a way to retaliate against Northern liberals. In 1962, they tricked about 200 African-Americans from the South into moving North. They would drop them off, claiming they were going to be there and get jobs and they were going to have housing. And when they got there, they were literally just abandoning them there just to sort of own the libs, their version of it. And so basically, um, Mr. Oval, you have this the these Southern governors and one Western governor playing the same role. What was the calculation um, from your reporting of this governor in doing that? Because recently, didn't his lieutenant governor also mess up and claim they were going to do the same thing to Cubans only to have to take it back? Right. So the, the calculation, of course, is he's running for reelection. Uh, he's running for um, presumably to be president of the United States. So he's really, um, you know, pitching this uh you know, specifically to his base, right? The right wing base. So none of this was new. We knew that this was a program that the legislature here had um, had approved and they just hadn't um, got it up and running yet. So this was a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people who had been kind of wa waiting and watching to see when this was going to happen. Um, but I think most people thought it was going to be by bus. I think it's still a little confusing. His office has yet to uh, release details about how much it cost. Um, how they went about doing it, why Texas, why people were taken from Texas. Um, at least one flight stopped in Florida first and then went on to uh, to the New England area. So there's still we still don't have a lot of answers as to the mechanics of this and sort of how it played out. But certainly here in Miami-Dade County, which is a you know largely uh, Hispanic uh, community and um, you know, largely democratic, although although it changed a lot in recent years. Um, it's it's you know, people are are watching this very closely. They're talking about it, and many people are outraged. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and you are a very you're a very kind uh, person for not uh, getting me for mispronouncing your name is Ovalle, and I apologize for that. And thank you for being such a gentleman. Uh, I, I do want to bring in uh, Adelis um, Ferro. Um, you represent um, the uh, there is a it is a very large Venezuelan community. It's the fastest growing um, Hispanic cohort in the United States in three states: Texas, um, California, and Florida. And I used to live in South Florida, and I remember that we used to call Western Westonsuela because there were so many Venezuelan nationals living there. This seems to me to be an incredibly stupid move on uh, DeSantis's part because he is offending a growing, vibrant, very large and vocal community. And again, he claims that he's against regimes like the Maduro regime. And then he does this to people that are fleeing it. Your thoughts? He, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I live in West Venezuela, actually. Um, I, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, is using us as a 
as a political funds, as a props for uh, for his. Uh, um, he is trying to galvanize a very extremist uh, base in order to get his uh, presidential nomination on the Republican Party. Uh, and I think that uh, thinking about Venezuelans and about immigrants, ab about Colombians, about Haitians, about Cubans, about Middle Easterns, uh, thinking about them as a human beings in, is not something that is on his agenda right now. I think we are just uh, some kind of little uh, chips on, on, on a game that he's playing, and uh, we are not qualified as human beings anymore. He has been uh, very vocal against uh, Maduro regime uh, because, uh, because he has called Maduro socialist, uh, authoritarian, cruel, criminal, But, and this is the little tiny detail, is that 6.5 million Venezuelans fled the country, running away from that cruel uh, socialist and criminal regime. And we need help. And the Venezuelans that are already here, in their immense majority, are people that just want to work, and that and is people that has been through some inimaginable uh, uh, pain and suffering. And what he only support us whenever he called Maduro cruel and criminal. But the people that are is suffering because of Maduro, he just despises us. It's clear. Let me let me play with another, you know, child of immigrants, you know, and I am I am one as well. And so it offends me as a, as a daughter of immigrants. And um, and I think it offends anyone who understands what the American story is supposed to be. Here's what Karine Jean-Pierre, um, the first Haitian-American uh, woman to be the uh, press secretary of the president of the United States is what she said today. There's a legal way of doing this um, and uh, for managing migrants, Republican governors interfering in that process and using migrants as political pawns is, uh, is shameful, is reckless and just plain wrong. And remember, these are people who are fleeing communism, who are fleeing hardship. Uh, David Ovalle, is there any conversation uh, that's being had, per your reporting, about whether or not this is a crime? Because it, this has been called trafficking. There is a lot of chatter now that what these governors, including Ron DeSantis, have done is to have trafficked these these families. Right. And that's something that uh, that a lot of people are asking the Department of Justice to look into, that including California Governor Gavin Newsom and uh, Democratic The Democrat, uh, Nikki Fried, who is our agriculture commissioner. Um, it's really kind of hard to tell because it's such an uh, unusual thing that happened. And we still know so few details about the mechanics of how this happened. But I'm pretty sure, you know, DeSantis and his people are pretty smart. And I'm sure they probably ran through a lot of different scenarios in hashing out this plan. Yeah, I'm sure that they didn't care. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, the, the message to the New York Times and others that are hailing this guy as the solution to Trumpism and MAGA, um, if this is what you guys think is the moderate version of republicanism, I don't know what that means anymore. I don't think that word has any meaning and words should have meaning. It's just cruel and it's sick and it's sadistic. And that is me saying that. I will not put that on any of my guests. Massachusetts Representative Dylan Fernandez, David Ovalle of the Miami Herald, uh, uh, Adelis Farrell, thank you both, all three very much.
All right, coming up on The Readout. Breaking news on the Mar-a-Lago Special Master. Stay with us. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Breaking news tonight in the many, many investigations into all things Trump, Judge Eileen Cannon has denied a Justice Department request to carve out access to 100 classified documents seized in the search of Trump's Florida resort home. And has appointed one of the Trump legal team's picks, Judge Raymond Deary, a Reagan appointee, as special master. It comes as also tonight, the House Judiciary Sixth Committee, the House January Sixth Committee, sorry, has released damning new evidence that it received in the form of walkie-talkie communications between members of the Oath Keepers inside the Capitol that day discussing violence against lawmakers. CNN just said that they evacuated all members of Congress into a safety room. There's no safe place in the United States for any of these right now let me tell you trump just tweeted please support our capitol police they are on our side do not harm them that's saying a lot by what he didn't say he didn't say not to do anything to the congressman (laughs) it's yet another signal that the committee is gaining momentum in its ongoing investigation after committee chair benny thompson said the committee has received new information from the u.s secret service Thousands of exhibits, including text messages, email communications, and radio traffic. The texts do not, however, include missing texts from specific individuals on the 6th that were permanently deleted, weirdly enough. Joining me now is, is Tali Farhadi and Weinstein, MSNBC legal analyst and former federal and state prosecutor, who clerked for then-Judge Merrick Garland, and Kurt Bardella, advisor to the DNC and the DCCC. And uh, Tali Farhadi and Weinstein, I'm going to go with you, to you on this first. Uh, your thoughts on this decision by the judge. Our understanding is that Judge Deary is seems to be a pretty straight-up, stand-up guy. He was a FISA court judge, so he's, you know, obviously got this kind of security clearance you'd need. What do you make of her denial of uh, the request to have access to those records? Well, uh, Joy, you're right. Uh, Judge Deary is a very fine judge. I actually appeared before him many times when I was a prosecutor in the Eastern District of New York. But the assignment that he has been given makes no sense because the issues that Judge Cannon has passed on to him to resolve are really defenses that are supposed to be adjudicated after somebody is indicted. So imagine that the government uh, had a search warrant to seize illegal drugs from Donald Trump's residence, right? It had probable cause to believe that he was storing cocaine and it took some 
bricks of white powder. And he said, oh, no, that's not what you think it is. That Those bricks of white powder are actually baby powder. That's not something that he could say before he was indicted. And it's not something you would have a special master conduct a mini trial about uh, at this juncture. That's something that he could bring up later. He could say, well, the drug testing that the government does isn't effective. And that's really what he's saying here, that these documents that you're telling me are contraband, that I was not supposed to have, I think I was supposed to have them, for example, because I declassified them. And of course, he wants to do this, and she has allowed him to do this, because he would rather push off that indictment, should it come, as far as possible. And Joy, I'll just say this, I don't know why she is passing on her responsibilities to another judge. If she thinks this stuff is supposed to be decided now, uh, then I would have expected her to take on that responsibility herself. Well, I mean, Kurt, the, uh, the Occam's razor answer is because she's a politician at this point. She's there to protect Trump. I, it's hard to get around it when everything. I mean, the thing, the consistency can be the hobgoblin sometimes of little minds. But in the case of lawyers, when lawyers all say the same thing, you can basically believe it because every single legal expert we've put on, as Talia here has said it, everyone has said it. This judge is doing something that is completely unorthodox. No one has ever heard of this idea. So how do we get around the idea that this lady's not just in the tank for Trump? Well, I think that we're seeing without question that there is an implicit bias and corruption, corruptive element here on the bench that's very troubling and disturbing. And it really illustrates the consequence of when you let these people take power, the cronies that they installed, there can be very serious repercussions that we had not even thought of. When Donald Trump was president, I don't think anyone thought that we would get to a point where one of the judges he appointed would have to adjudicate something like this involving sensitive, classified, top-secret information being stored at Mar-a-Lago illegally. Yet here we are. This is why it's so important that we do not take elections for granted, that we actually pay attention to the type of judges that are being appointed and make sure Republicans aren't in a position to do this because it's very clear the rule of law means absolutely nothing to these people. They do not care about our constitution. They do not care about what's lawful. They just care about power and doing everything they can using all the instruments of power to help either cover it up or let them get away with it blatantly. And that's what we're seeing right now from the, from the bench. And it's incredibly disturbing. Tali, what, what are the potential, um, what can the government, what can the DOJ do at this point? I mean, we know that there were leave behinds, right? Jeffrey Clark, who was one of the leave behind leave behinds, is now under, you know, some pretty serious investigations. He had his phone seized and, and they're looking at obstruction with him. He was a he was one of those late. They tried to shove him into the attorney general's office. You now have this judge who was also a leave behind, somebody that Trump nominated after he'd already lost the election. He, he She's now there. It feels like she's doing his bidding. Does the government have any recourse or are they stuck with this situation? Well, the government uh, told Judge Cannon last week that uh, if she did not grant them that carve out that they asked for by today, that they would take an emergency appeal to the 11th Circuit. Uh, and I imagine that that thing is written and we are going to see that motion really soon um, because they have maintained throughout that this is a state of emergency. Uh, and, you know, another really troubling thing in this opinion um, that, you know, we are processing right now, it just came out a few minutes ago is they said, look, we cannot do a security assessment uh, because of your order, because it's intertwined with the criminal investigation. And she said basically, yes, you can.
Now, I, you know, just to move on just for a second, because we do have this other piece of breaking news, uh, Kurt, this new audio from the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers communicating. You know, I can imagine that despite the fact that definitely he's got a judge that's very helpful to him, the Trump team has to be concerned because there's just more and more documentary evidence of the violence that was intended toward lawmakers. That's really what this piece of sound, uh, these, these pieces of sound sort of illustrate. Um, what do you imagine they're thinking now with Bannon uh, under under guard now because he's uh, under indictment in the state of New York with all of these uh, f- potential charges facing Donald Trump? What do you think is going on in their minds tonight? Well, you know, we, we recently even heard audio of Donald Trump talking about there potentially being grave consequences if he uh, you know is indicted or if anything happens on a legal front. You know, it's very clear that. This entire orbit of people believes that violence is an acceptable form of protest in this country, that when they don't get their way, when the voters reject their ideas or their candidates, uh, that exercising violence against their their political opponents is the way to do it. You know, I was just at yesterday the official portrait unveiling of the late Elijah Cummings. It was held in the Cannon Caucus Room where the January 6th committees actually do their hearings. You know, and, and I think about all the times that Elijah would sit there at the oversight committee where I used to work and say things like, you know, we're better than this. Uh, he would be heartbroken that January 6th even happened and even more heartbroken that so many of his former colleagues have tried to dismiss what happened that day, have tried to call it just another tourist day, have tried to exonerate Donald Trump and keep him from being held accountable. Yeah. Uh, and it just goes to show, again, that the lengths to which these people will go to justify their venom and 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 that January we've said this so many times on this show January 6th was just a beginning for these people yeah. and they're telegraphing it every single day that they intend to do more Elijah Cummings is very much missed he was a very very good man and one of the people he considered a friend and defended when he really needed defending Mark Meadows uh, Tally Farhadian Weinstein and Kurt Bardell thank you both very much coming up An 11th hour tentative deal has been reached to avert a national railroad strike. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg joins me next. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. You might not know it. But one of the most influential leaders of the American labor movement at the turn of the 20th century was a woman in her 60s known as Mother Jones. Yes, the magazine is named after her. She fought for workers across the country, including miners and textile workers and steel workers, demonstrating the power of labor. 
Unions have ebbed and flowed over the past century, but we are currently seeing a resurgence from nurses to teachers to Starbucks and Google and Amazon employees to rail workers. Today's railroad workers are facing a similar battle. They currently face penalties for taking time off, even for an emergency. And labor groups say that workers have been fired for going to routine doctor's appointments or family funerals. They had threatened to strike starting on Friday, which would have had a disastrous impact on the economy, costing $2 billion a day. But a tentative deal has been reached to avoid that strike. Employees will, for the first time, be able to take unpaid time off for medical care. They'll also get a 24% wage increase. This deal came together thanks to the direct involvement of Joe Biden, who ran for president the way he's always run for senator, as pro-labor and pro-union. The Washington Post reports that he was personally involved in the talks, calling into the negotiations and growing animated in recent days over the lack of scheduling flexibility for workers, expressing a mixture of confusion and anger that management was refusing to budge on that point. And joining me now is the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. And great to see you, uh, Secretary Pete. And this is very, very good news for these workers. I know that Marty Walsh, the Labor Secretary, and yourself were involved in these negotiations, too. How did um, this team and how did President Biden help to get the two sides together? And what are the contours of the deal? Well, we, you're right. We were deeply involved. The president was personally engaged. Uh, Secretary Marty Walsh convened the parties uh, at the Department of Labor for the final stretch of negotiations. Uh, I was on the phone constantly. So was Secretary Vilsack, uh, Agriculture Secretary, because, of course, resolving this is so important uh, to American farmers. And uh, I really believe it was the uh, direct intervention of the president, uh, as well as uh, all the other things the administration did, that helped move this toward a deal before it was too late. Uh, the outlines of the deal include a a significant pay increase for workers, about 24% cumulatively, but also, as you mentioned, very important quality of life concessions that were very important for the unions and that they won at this bargaining table. You know, one thing that we're seeing really across the transportation sector is an attention not just to compensation, but to quality of life issues. You've got essential workers who don't have the kind of normal schedules that so many American workers can count on, don't have the flexibility that a lot of us would take for granted. And whether we're talking about flight attendants, whether we're talking about truck drivers, uh, whether we're talking about these union rail workers, uh, they are focusing on that. And uh, I think that was uh, one of the key things that needed to be resolved in order to get to this deal that that is now uh, good news for workers and good news for railroads in general, and of course, very good news for the American economy that we didn't face a shutdown. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about this uh, earlier when we were talking about doing this segment and talking about on the team call is that, you know, it really does make a difference. And I know that you are a a, a lover of history such as myself. I will class you as a fellow nerd. And, you know, it it depends. There's a lot that depends in these historical moments on who the president is. Right. When it was Ronald Reagan, it was bust the unions. That was the idea with the air traffic control union. Um, When it's the civil rights movement, it mattered that it was Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson who were open. And so a lot of people were like, don't march on them with the march on Washington. And it's like, no, that's who you march on because those people are actually willing to talk. What kind of a difference do you think it made that Biden, that President Biden does have this history of being a pro-union guy and a trains guy? Because the trains guy thing seems like it's important, too. (laughs) 
That's right. You've got a president who is passionate about making sure we have excellent rail in America and a president who is proud to be the most pro-labor, pro-union president that we have had in modern times, perhaps ever. And I think that that led to a lot of credibility, especially when he was making these calls like last night around uh, nine in the evening, uh, as the, the talks were already going into uh, probably their, their 12th hour or so, uh, calling on the parties to get to uh, get to that solution and find that deal space. I think he's earned a lot of trust and a lot of credibility, and uh, it comes from the heart. Uh, we saw it also yesterday when we were with United Auto Workers at the Detroit Auto Show. For him, uh, the the technology that's happening, the electric vehicle revolution, this is all about make, doing it in a way that makes sure workers can win. Today, we were celebrating uh, the administration's Buy Clean initiative. It was in uh, uh, I was in Detroit uh, along with the uh, uh, soon-to-be national climate advisor in the White House, Ali Zaidi, uh, and our general services administrator, Robin Carnahan, with uh, steelworkers. And they have uh, uh, participated in what's called the Blue-Green Alliance, a, a pro-climate labor movement uh, that is insisting that we break this uh, old idea that uh, there's, a, there's a, a choice between climate action or uh, good jobs and instead make sure that we're creating good-paying union jobs through what we do on climate. So it's really a through line through everything we're doing in the administration that I think served the president of the administration well in terms of credibility at this absolutely critical juncture for our economy uh, that we went through last night and into the wee hours of this morning, uh, but also is something that's part of what we're doing every single day. And we know that this is a tentative deal. Is there a, a definitive date when this thing is solid? Like, what is this with the timeline for it to go from being a tentative deal to a deal deal? So that plays out over the next few weeks as it goes to the members for ratification. Uh, but what I'll say is that as that process plays out, you now have a deal that uh, has the backing of the uh, the unions that fought so hard for these uh, these concessions and these improvements and the railroad companies that were at the table negotiating uh, this. And, uh, of course, the, the administration and a lot of others who are eager to, to see this succeed. Uh, so we'll, we'll follow that process closely. But uh, again, just so thankful for uh, everybody who got us to this point. And, and I'm thankful and proud uh, to serve under the leadership of a president who was willing to roll up his sleeves and get directly personally involved to get this thing uh, over the over the finish line. I have one question. It's, it's related, but it's not exactly in the same thing, uh, the same exact vein. One of the things that the president has talked about in terms of the initiatives to get more electric out, he was at the Detroit Auto Show talking about and getting in electric vehicles and, and, and that sort of thing. What's the timeline on rolling out more help for those of us who do have a, a hybrid or an electric vehicle? Because charging stations are kind of few and far between, and it's kind of hard to push that initiative if you can't charge the thing. So what is the timeline on getting more of that kind of infrastructure out. And what's the jobs picture going to look like for that? Well, that's right. You know, we need to get to where you can count on finding charging stations just as easily as you can uh, a gas station when you're going on a road trip. You know, the good news is there are a lot of opportunities to charge at home or charge at work for some Americans, which, of course, you, you can't do uh, when you're filling up with a gas car. But uh, a lot of folks living in multifamily dwellings, especially in lower income neighborhoods where it's not yet profitable for companies to put in those chargers, uh, we're going to have to take steps to make sure those are available. And the same thing to make sure we have that full national network. This week, we actually announced a big step on this. Ahead of schedule, we were able to clear 35 of the states so far that have come to us with the plans for how they're going to use this new federal funding through the president's infrastructure package to deploy those chargers. The president's vision is 500,000 chargers yeah. by the end of this decade across the country. And uh, we know that won't happen on its own. We're working and partnering with the states to make it happen. And that'll make it more convenient and accessible for everybody to take advantage of, of these EVs. 
Uh, Secretary, uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, I'm going to have to have you come back because I want to talk to you about electric buses and uh, mass transit, but we'll, we'll have to do that. We'll have to do that another time. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here today. All right. Uh, blessed be the fruit. Actress Ann Dow, the menacing Aunt Lydia on The Handmaid's Tale, is here to talk about the real-life Gilead, a.k.a. post-Dobbs America, under his eye. We'll be right back. The new season of The Handmaid's Tale has started streaming on Hulu at a time when Margaret Atwood's fictionalized version of a repressive theocracy is very much a real thing. And when it comes to art imitating life, one character really stands out. Aunt Lydia, Gilead's fanatical, menacing overseer, makes sure that the handmaids obey the rules, believing it is God's will that they give birth to the commander's children. It's a line of thinking that feels very familiar right now in the United States of Gilead, a.k.a. Red America. Aunt Lydia mirrors that current, mirrors what current members of the Republican Party believe as they implement draconian measures to control women and girls and mandate pregnancies. Today, a near total abortion ban takes place, takes effect in Indiana, as Republicans fight to dismantle abortion from coast to coast. Senator Lindsey Graham has introduced a nationwide ban on abortions after 15 weeks, with the narrowest of exceptions for conditions for situations that Graham will never have to think about or endure. Yesterday, at Graham's press conference, a woman shared the story of her non-viable pregnancy and the excruciating loss that came with it. What would you say to somebody like me who found out that their son had an anomaly that would make him incompatible life in 16 weeks? I had regular appointments. I did everything at right. And at 16 weeks, we found out that our son was likely not yep. live. When he was born, he lived for eight days. Yeah. He bled from every orifice of his body, but we were allowed to make that choice. Here's what I would say. The world pretty much has spoken on this issue. As to your particular case, there'll be exceptions for life of the mother and rape and incest. But uh, two first. Uh, joining me now is Ann Dow, the Emmy Award winning actress who plays Aunt Lydia in The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. I am so excited to talk with you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I, I wonder what you Thank make you. of that, because, you know, we say the cruelty is the point. Uh, Adam Serwer's brilliant line. But it's also the indifference. I was struck by how how he just he just couldn't wait for that lady to stop talking. He just was like, I don't, I don't want to hear this. I don't care. What do you make of all of this? It's disgusting. That's what I make of it. And honestly, watching that right now, how dare, how dare he claim himself a servant to the people? Um, <laughs> best I don't watch before I speak. Uh, as to, you know, Handmaid's Tale and, and comparing it to the world we're in, let's just be clear about one thing. What we do is make-believe. Uh, when I go home at night, I know that no woman has been forced to be pregnant because of our show and stay pregnant. What's happening in our country is appallingly different because in our country, we've made a very blind and costly mistake and just set aside for a moment, if we can, the non-negotiable right of a woman to choose. But where do they think abortions are going away? Abortions are going underground. And women will die and children will be forced into this world without love, without a chance to believe in themselves 
and the hope of life, which every single child deserves, who's going to suffer? The poor, the disenfranchised people of color. And how dare, how dare they use the phrase pro-life? This is not pro-life, because if you open your eyes and look around, think of all the children without homes, without love, without care, desperate for a chance. Having been familiar with the foster care system and the gift of my son, who is now my adopted son, and those lonely, desperate kids who have been let down, don't you dare use the phrase pro-life. Look after those who are on this earth in need of help. And frankly, don't use, don't dare hide behind God's word because God would never put people in this circumstance. And the thing about Lydia is that she's coming forward in our make-believe world and the walls are dropping and she is looking and saying, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, I, I say I'm helping. Sorry, please. Sorry. No, Too no, much. no. I, I have, I, I, and I love this. Listen, I just love listening to your voice. It's just so, it's so, it's so freaky for me to listen to your voice because I just know that voice so well from the show. And I have to tell you, I watch the show with, with one if the hand over one of my eyes because it is. I it feels you. too real to me now, right? It feels. I, I got it's you. hard for me to watch it sometimes. And and this is what um, Margaret Atwood said. She told the Los Angeles Times this about the world, as you said, the make believe world that she created. She said any totalitarianism always has views on who shall be allowed, who shall be allowed to have babies and what shall be done with the babies. It's been going on for really long times. So what you're saying is so true. And now I do want to play a clip. And this is a clip specifically of Aunt Lydia. And this is in episode two. This is not a spoiler. Anybody who hasn't seen it, look away, put your hands in your ears and go, la, 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 la. <laughs> Here's a clip. Yeah. <laughs> Even through the tragedy of Commander Waterford's death, our good Lord has found a way to grace us with opportunity. This is your moment to shine in the sunlight of the spirit, girls. A chance to impress prospective commanders, to do his good works, and to make yourselves truly worthy. Oh, blessed be this day. You know, what, what strikes me about Aunt Lydia is her fanaticism, her true belief in the system, but also the fact that you realize that she gains power from this system. And that's one of the reasons she seems to stick with it. What do you make of that kind of fanaticism? For me, it feels like it is what we're living through in real life, that these people are fanatics. Well, yeah, this, the, the, the desire for, for power is remarkable. Power over integrity is just, mm -hmm. you're really going to give it up. And, and this supposed, I can't even say his name. Really? He's worth that? No, he's not. Uh, Lydia, it depends. You know, if you read the Testaments, the beginning of Gilead is terrifying. And it's all about survival. Now, that's not how we look at The Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale, Lydia, grew up, raised on shame, uh, with a father, deeply, deeply religious, shamed by sex and everything else that goes with it. So her walls are strong and they are tall and the alleyway is narrow. Her belief in God to her is real. Above anything else, it's real. What she learns in this season is to open her eyes and look. 
and see what's really going on. Now, will she get to a place where she realizes her profound belief is based on something that is not real? It was, it was produced from the opposite of God, which is to say shame and cruelty and you don't count. Hmm. We're not there yet for her. But she's moving forward. So I'd say to the fans, hang on. I would. Um, this is a shocking season, but boy, it is well thought out. And yeah. I, I'm just saying, hang in there. Not binging for mental health purposes, but just <laughs> hang in. I can't binge it. It's too, too hard. Joy. I, I can't do it. It's too hard. Uh, let, let me ask you my yeah. last question, exit question. For you, and, and it has to be a little traumatizing and a little triggering to play this role and to be in this world um, as an artist, do you come away from just experiencing this world yourself fictionally and then looking at the real world and how they're kind of getting closer together, do you feel hopeful? Yes, I think we're in a very, very bad way, without question. We have lost our way. Uh, on many levels. As to leaving behind the show and going home, yeah, you see, that's crucial. Has to happen. Or yeah. we can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ann Dowd, you're a treasure. Thank you so much for being here. How are I truly you? appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank, you, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Good luck to you. We'll be right back. Thank you. We'll be right back. And that is tonight's readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.